0: I'm Karen Lewis, and thank you for listening to Recovery Bites, real talk with recovered professionals. This podcast is about life in recovery from an eating disorder the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges. Episodes will include stories from fully recovered professionals about the sometimes sad, sometimes painful, but always beautiful accounts from their recovery. Not their whole story, just bites. Hi, everyone. I am really excited about the next guest we're going to have on today's podcast. Mindy is a woman who struggled for 30 years in her eating disorder and recovered in her 50s. The reason why I I articulate that is because there are so many people out there that are struggling with eating disorder behaviors in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and unfortunately carry either judgment or resignation that they've had their eating disorder for so long that this is the way their life is going to continue on going. Mindy's story is beautiful. She overcame a lot of obstacles in order to be fully recovered. And that's a story worth hearing. Again, I want people to try to take away their own shame or judgment if they're older and they're struggling with an eating disorder. This is not a disorder that discriminates against age. So Mindy's story is really, really wonderful to hear, and I'm really glad to have her on the podcast today. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoy. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites, Real Talk with Recovered Professionals. My guest for today is Mindy Gorman-Plutzer. And Mindy, first, I just wanna say thank you for being part of the show.
1: Karen, I'm thrilled to be here and so grateful, not only for the opportunity, but to be a partner with you in spreading the message of hope and healing for recovery. I am honored to have you on
0: this show. And what I have to say, so listeners know, I'm honored to have you on the show again, (laughs) because what listeners don't know is this is our second time around doing this recording. First time, sound quality did not come out that great. So Mindy, and I said to you, I feel like maybe I did that intentionally so you and I could have some more time together. So welcome, welcome back. I'm so thrilled to have you here.
1: And I'm thrilled to reconnect with you, (laughs) Cameron. So, Mindy,
0: you are the founder of The Freedom Promise. Can you tell listeners a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do?
1: Absolutely. Well, I am credentialed. My credentials say that I am a functional nutrition and lifestyle practitioner. I'm a board-certified integrative health coach and a certified eating psychology coach. And I came to this work basically to embrace my own recovery from 25-plus years of disordered eating behaviors that ran the gamut from extreme restricting to compulsive overeating and consistent purging. It started when I was in my late teens. I have to say I grew up in a very loving home, but I guess it's just the way I saw things, the way I was wired. I interpreted certain messages that I got as having to be a very good girl, stay under the radar, don't ask for too much. And at the same time, we were a family of uh, eaters. Um, My parents had weight issues of their own and uh, really became professional dieters. So dieting really became a family endeavor, a family pastime. So we counted calories during the week. And once Friday came, Everything was forgotten, and it became an eating frenzy. And then every Monday morning, out came the rules. So I really became a Monday morning dieter. And and we all know that not every dieter develops an eating disorder, but I've never met somebody with an eating disorder that didn't start out as dieting. So for me, the trajectory went something like this. Um, counting calories, it became a game for me to eat as little as I could. And I should go back to say that this was you know, the the late 60s and 70s, and we certainly didn't have any of the knowledge of nutrition and good quality calories like we have today. It was all about calories in, calories out. Um, And we weren't exercisers either, so that wasn't even part of the equation. But I had then soon discovered in my mother's bathroom a uh, supply of diuretics, over-the-counter appetite suppressants, and laxatives that I would very generously help myself to. And that really put me on the path to destruction, I have to say. And this behavior carried through for me into my 20s. I married very young. I had two fabulous daughters in my early 20s and um, continued on this path of just trying to fit the image of the body that I thought I needed to have. Uh, Fast forward to my 30s, my health was starting to suffer. And my relationships were starting to suffer. My daughters were in their teens. They were questioning my behaviors. They were resenting me. They were resenting the fact that I was always talking about how little we should be eating. Uh, My husband was vacillating between resenting me as well and blaming himself. And uh, finally, I decided I needed some help. So I went to my our family doctor, who was a family friend, and basically said, I need some help. And that put me on the path to what I like to say is doing recovery. I went for weekly weigh-ins, weekly vital checks, twice-weekly therapy sessions. And visits with a dietician. So I was basically being told what I needed to weigh, how I should be thinking, and who I should be blaming, actually. That was her take on things. And what I needed to be eating. And besides not being sustainable for me, nobody was telling me what I was really hungry for. Nobody was talking to me about my need to belong. Nobody was talking to me about the fact that I didn't feel... Seen or heard?
0: I don't mean to interrupt, but that's why when you said I was, quote unquote, doing recovery, but had no idea how to be recovered, because just the sentence you said before, I was being told what to eat, but nobody told me what I was hungry for. And this is where eating disorders is about the food. And it's not about the food. You were hungry for connection. You were hungry for self confidence or self worth. You were hungry for authenticity. That's why you were doing recovery, but nobody was telling you what you were hungry for and what it is to be recovered. I apologize for jumping in. Please keep going, Mindy.
1: No, I'm I'm very glad you did, but what I want to say to that is what I've discovered through the years, and, and we can of course go back to this, is that eating disorders are a language of their own. I think they take hold, I believe that they take hold when we don't have the words or the ability to express in words what we feel or what we fear to feel. And food becomes the tool, for whatever reason. And, and it, the reason is different for everybody. So um, you know that, that, I think, is a really, really big part of it. I didn't understand what it was, Karen, to be recovered probably until I was in my early 50s, and my life had taken on a whole different tra- trajectory. Um, and I realized that it was time to either set sail or jump ship. So, you know, just to quickly fast forward, you know, so here I am in my 30s, my late 30s doing recovery and still following the rules. You see that was the other thing, you know, whereas I had all these food rules in place while I was in the throes of my eating disorder, now I had another set of food rules in place doing recovery. I I hadn't internalized it. I hadn't conceptualized it. I was just doing what I needed to do to change what I was doing. And I'm purposely using that word doing because what I've discovered and uncovered that in order to really transform, it has to be less about what we do and more about what we let go of to become the change we wanna see.
0: Say a little bit more about that, letting go. Letting go of what, particularly for you?
1: Okay. Well, for me, it was about letting go of those self-prescribed rules, um, the image I had of myself, which was tied to story. So when I talk about letting go, when I talk to clients about letting go, we can never fully let go of our story. Our story is always going to be our story, but it's the attachment we have to it. It's the, the dysfunctional messages that come out of the story, the parts of the story that no longer serve we need to come to a point where we can turn the page on our story and look at a blank page and realize that every day is an opportunity to start to write what can ultimately become our happily ever after. So whether we close the book on the story, put the book on the shelf, or turn the page, that's going to look different for everybody. I have two things I want to add to
0: that. This is where. One, I love when Carolyn Coston and Gwen Grab created that assignment in the eight keys to recovery from an eating disorder. What are you recovering to? Because, not what are you recovering from, because that at times keeps us too connected to the narrative as opposed to what are you recovering to? And I think the difference in that is as you said our narratives never change i can never change what happened to me in the past but i can change my relationship to those narratives so similar to when you say turning a like let's go to a blank page what relationship do i want to have to these narratives do do i want to do, do you see what I'm saying? I, I, I got a little like, a little stuck there in my last sentence, but also because I saw you wanted to say
1: something and I got excited, go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I want to say that I love that. In fact, I just wrote it down. Um, what is it that you want to recover to? You know, because that speaks to owning the resistance to recovering. It's funny, I used to ask clients, where's the resistance coming from? And then I reframed that for myself. And now I ask the question, where is the reward in staying stuck? Because eating disorders do not start out as the problem. They start out as a brilliant solution. And that's something I believe that every practitioner needs to understand, that we resort to eating disorder behaviors, as I said before, when we have no other way to express what we need to express, when we have no other way to self-soothe. So I, I love, I just love that. What are you recovering too? Because when you think about it, what is the definition of recovery? The, the, the Webster de- definition of recovery is to regain what was lost or taken. And when we are needing to recover from anything, whether it's any form of addiction or even a chronic or acute illness, part of us was taken from us. So it's, it's, it's regaining that. And particularly with an eating disorder, it's rediscovering our self worth. It's rediscovering that innocence, rediscovering the image that we have for ourselves. So I, that's why I'd love that. What are you recovering to? You know, I'm a very visual thinker. And, and for me, that just opens up a whole arena. So thank you for that. What is your definition of recovery?
0: I heard what you said, Webster's definition is do you have a definition you might not it's different for everyone it may be what you just said the webster's dictionary but i'm i just wanted to throw that out there
1: no that's a great question nobody's ever asked me that um for me recovery means freedom it means joy it means a deep breath it means that i Now you're getting me started. I love this. It means that I feel as though I have an expansive presence on this blessed earth, and that has nothing to do with the size of my body. For me, recovery means connecting to my deepest sense of self, which for me is my higher power. You know, I I didn't share um, with the audience today that in the depths of my despair, I developed an abusive relationship with alcohol which is very common by the way you know I attended a lot of 12-step meetings and there were many women in those meetings who were there to talk about their alcoholism but in their qualifications there was talked about a binge episode or a severe restricting episode Um, again all in the effort to self-soothe and um, so when I was, would go to these meetings and I um, would hear about reaching to the higher power, that didn't work for me because to me, my interpretation of that was giving up my power once again to something outside of myself. And that's what I had done all of my life. I gave up my power to the scale. I gave up my power to yet another diet. I gave up my power to people telling me that I had to look a certain way. But when I experienced for the first time connecting to that deepest part of myself that I always refer to now as my sacred space of solitude, where I felt for the first time safe, there was no fear. There was only love in the most expansive sense, not talking romantic love, that I could really depend on myself, that's where that for me became my higher power. So that to me is the definition of recovered, to be able to rely on myself, to have the confidence to go forward no matter what, no matter what obstacle I'm going to meet, that I can rise up. That
0: is an incredible, incredible definition of being recovered. It's also interesting when you talk about higher power, I say to clients, if they believe in a higher power, it is whatever you choose for it to be. Nobody can tell you what your higher power is. Nobody. It's interesting. I didn't even feel like I had a higher power until my father passed away. And I'm going to be 100% honest he is my higher power. When I have questions, I, I literally, and like, I look up at the sky and my father is, and this is just my belief. My father is always watching over me and he is my higher power. And if you find a higher power, it is so comforting. And I don't even know why I just shared that, but that is just what I kept thinking of. I think I think about my father often during these podcasts, so maybe that's why I said that.
1: That's wonderful. Well, you know what? Your higher power is allowing you to embrace all that is wonderful for you and paying it forward. And I think that's what a higher power is supposed to do to make us to be something greater than ourselves. Without, without giving up our power, by the way, you know, I, I, I never want to give the message to anybody, especially somebody struggling with some sort of addiction or addictive behavior, dysfunction, relationship with anything themselves, that they ever need to give up their power. They always have to reclaim their power. And I think that's a major reframe.
0: And I think, and it's so interesting, I did not expect this episode to be talking about higher powers. But for me, higher power, and especially because for me, it's my father, it doesn't, I don't give away myself to my higher power. It fills me with strength. It fills me with light energy. It fills me with compassion. Sometimes it fills me with reprimanding and, you know, he will always be my father, but- That's what a higher power is for me. And by the way, that's kind of what I used my eating disorder for. When I was in my eating disorder, I was looking for something to fill me with this incredible light, with compassion, with love, and sometimes reprimand. I was looking for all of that. And I thought I was getting it from an eating disorder. Couldn't have been farther from the truth.
1: You were giving your power away. I was giving my power away. And at that point in time, that power was bigger than you. You know, in fact, sometimes I have a little discrepancy with that whole concept of giving yourself up to a higher power. Um, but that's a conversation for another day. But essentially, that's really what brought me to creating the Freedom Promise. So, um, you know, I was doing recovery, in recovery, figuring it all out. And then, lo and behold, I thought everything was going really well. And my husband of 28 years was diagnosed with metastatic melanoma. And the prognosis was dire from the very beginning. Um, right before that time i had decided i was going to go to school i studied nutrition like so many people with eating disorders we can write our own nutrition books um but i really i wanted i wanted the credentials i really did i wanted to be able to give something back and certainly at that point in time support myself um but then Stuart got sick i put everything on hold We lost him in August of 2004, so that was just about 16 years ago. And at that point, I hit bottom again. You know, after all, I needed to self-soothe. So that was when the relationship with alcohol really turned sour. Um, I started um, practicing eating disorder behaviors again. And, And mind you, through all this time, I still had that laxative dependency So a few years into this time when I decided that I needed to figure out who I wanted to be and how I wanted to live my life after I had two grown daughters who my relationship with them was starting to get a little tenuous. My behavior was nothing to be proud of. Um, I walked into the rooms of, of AA, but at the same time, I realized that the real problem I had was my relationship to self and which translated to my relationship with my body, and that, of course, was playing out with my relationship with food. And I was flying home from Florida, and I was reading a magazine, and I saw an article about a woman who changed her whole life around and became a health coach, called up the Institute for Integrative Nutrition that Monday, enrolled And I got my first certification and that led me on the path of the, you know, the, the um, subsequent certifications and what really changed things for me that helped me create the freedom promise was my introduction to the philosophy of functional medicine, that all systems of the body are connected. Every body is unique and everything matters because what my eating disorder did for me to me was that it really ravaged my body. Um, I was suffering terribly from GI dysfunction to this day. I still have issues which manifested in blood sugar issues, adrenal issues. There are foods that I really cannot tolerate to this day. Um, It took me years to reverse the effects of the laxative abuse. So when I started to really understand the mechanics of the body, the anatomy and the physiology, I started to figure out that there was a huge biological, physiological component to the eating disorder that research is certainly pointing to now that is affecting and impacting the psychology. So the Freedom Promise is all about bringing a unique approach To the uniqueness of my clients who are struggling with chronic and acute health issues as a result of or contributing to their eating disorder behaviors. And the Freedom Promise, the name of my my practice, came from page 86 of the Big Book. I don't remember the words exactly, but the message is if you painstakingly do the work, you will know a new freedom like never before. Say that again, say that again. If you painstakingly do the work, you will know a new freedom unlike anything you've known before.
0: That's right. That's why this work is so hard. And I have never met a recovered person who regrets having gone through that painstaking work to get to the other side.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting about eating disorders. Having had another addiction, I say affliction is really what I like to say. I'm not of the mindset that I continue to be a sick and suffering woman for the rest of my life. I don't believe that. I believe you can be recovered. Um, I believe I had an abusive relationship with alcohol, just like I had an abusive relationship with my body. And that's behind me. It doesn't define me unlike other addictions where I can tell you the day and the time of my last drink. And eating disorder lifts like a cloud. For me, and I write about this in my book, I remember leaving the house and remembering that I had forgotten to weigh myself or that I hadn't stood in front of the mirror analyzing how my thighs looked in the pants I was wearing. The best one for me Was that I ordered a salad for lunch and forgot to ask for dressing on the side. And I ate it anyway. I didn't freak out when it was served to me and have a hissy fit with the waiter. And nothing happened. Here I am. So that's how I I liken the eating disorder lifting, different from another addiction. You know, you know when you put down the drug, you know when you put down the glass. I want to comment on something.
0: You said I ate the salad with dressing and nothing happened. And here I am. I actually want to turn that around. You ate the salad with the dressing and everything happened. Your world started opening. Your, your ability to be present with people started opening while you while you're having a meal with. It. When you were in the eating disorder and order the salad with no dressing that's when nothing happens so whatever you're hoping the eating disorder is going to do nothing nothing changes from a salad with no dressing nothing cha- nothing changes from binging on whatever your binge food is nothing it's when you actually do the more difficult thing, which is go through the recovery process and take the power of food out, and everything happens. That's what I
1: was thinking of when you said that. that that's so beautiful. And that, you know, that also reminds me of what, we're, what we were talking about before about how when we are in that state, um, I was talking about becoming expansive. But the opposite of that is what the eating disorder does to us, really keeps us very contracted and small. I I feel in my body as I'm talking about it now. And when we're in that place of contracted and small, and again, it has nothing to do with the size of your body. It's your mindset. You know, it's living in that mindset of of scarcity. Um, You're not able to receive. You're not able to receive the gifts of the universe. You're not able to receive the gifts of good nutrition. And so you're not digesting, you're not assimilating or absorbing, you're not metabolizing. And that can be said for life as well. We've got to learn to digest, absorb, assimilate, and metabolize life.
0: 100%. It is so metaphorical, parallel. It's unbelievable. Are metaphors and parallels the same? <laughs> no, <laughs> sorry. This is where I, I chuckle at myself. Hmm. Note to self, <laughs> look that up. No, just kidding. So, but that's what it is. You are not absorbing anything in life. You're not absorbing the, the, the blessings. You're not absorbing the challenges. You're not absorbing anything. And you're not absorbing any nutrients. You're not absorbing any of the, the vitamins that are necessary in, in food. Like it is so, I'm going to go
1: back to metaphorical. <laughs> it is. It, it's, it's so true. And, and, you know, what people need to be reminded of is that when we are in that constant state of chronic stress that an eating disorder creates, that fight, flight, or freeze- our digestion shuts down. Physiologically, of course metaphorically, but physiologically, and when we're not receiving the nutrients that we need to replenish and get us from that state of deficiency to sufficiency, our cognition is affected. So We're not able to fully absorb, metabolize, and digest the help that we we so badly need. We're not able to shift that mindset from one of scarcity to one of abundance. And when we're in that mindset of abundance, we are connected to self.
0: I'm wondering, and this is sort of Shifting it quite a bit, like I want to, I want to change gears a little because you are, we're, you and I are both talking about the gifts of recovery and and how our worlds have become more expansive and things like that. I want to turn it around a little bit. Do you or have you ever gotten triggered working in the field?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I get triggered often. Um, when I'm talking to somebody about changing their restrictive behavior, because that, for me, was was my go-to. Um, so I'm, I'm really very careful. And in fact, the, coming from a functional medicine philosophy, where very often people think that functional medicine is all about an elimination diet, which it is not. It's more about a therapeutic protocol. Um, very often, when I'm dealing with somebody who is coming in with severe GI distress as a result of the eating disorder, and we've got to look at the foods that she, that she's eating, um, I have to be very careful that I don't fall into that restrictive mindset. That that's one area, but I'm aware, so I know how to manage it. The other issue. I've had personally, is as I've shared with you and our audience, that I've been struggling with my own GI issues. And as a result, I've lost some weight. So now I'm working really hard to maintain and yes, even gain weight. And I, I, I chuckle because I say 20 years ago, I would have been clicking my heels. And now I think about all the time I wasted. All of the years, the time, the conversations with my kids that I missed because of, of my behaviors and my need to be the smallest woman in the room. So, yeah, it's been it's been a triggering time for me. Um, I get triggered when I get very busy because I remind myself that I've got to stop to eat. But you know what? I think I think that it's okay when you're aware of the triggers and you know that they can be managed they're not going to derail me. Everybody has triggers. Life is a trigger. And especially now we're in this global pandemic. We've got all this social unrest. We don't know what's coming, what's going. Um, It's a difficult time. And when we're feeling uncertain, we can start feeling fearful. When we're feeling fearful, we're going to go to our familiar zone. Have you noticed
0: anything different with your clients during this time? Because it is a very, very difficult time that we are all going through with the pandemic, with political unrest, with racism, with with so many things that are happening. I'm wondering if you're
1: noticing anything different and you may not. No, what I'm noticing is that, people are going one of two ways. They're either retreating and isolating and not asking for the support that they were getting before because they're relying on their behaviors or their behaviors are becoming more apparent to them and their behaviors are a cause for concern. So the ones who are restrictive eaters are restricting more in an effort to feel in control. And the... Um, people that are distracting, numbing, and avoiding with food by overeating are doing so more. And let's face it, everything now is about food, right? Having enough food in the house. Um, social media is, is overloaded with recipes. Everyone's baking. And this these are major triggers for a lot of people.
0: I. I feel like and I apologize Mindy and to all the listeners. I keep going back and forth and back and forth. It's just the way my mind works. So I apologize, stay with me. Bring it on. I want to go back to something that you said because I don't want to gloss over it. There is a lot of um there is a lot of talk in the field about any kind of a diet is not is there is no place for diets. I I agree with that. I also heard you say that, a f- that functional medicine is not about an elimination diet, but there are parts to it. And I want space for you to explain because you are very... Very you and I have spoken before, and I know you've said there's people in the field that are a little bit like when you use the term elimination diet. I also heard you when you say everybody is different. Every gut is different, every experience is different, whether there's been laxative abuse, diarrhea. Can you explain functional medicine a little bit more and when
1: you brought in elimination diet? Okay, first of all, I'm sorry if I didn't explain myself properly. I do not use the word elimination diet. In fact, I've gone into functional medicine practices to teach doctors how to talk to patients that might be triggered, who might have a history of an eating disorder. So, um, very often, a functional doctor or a functional practitioner will see a patient who is exhibiting signs of an autoimmune issue, or certainly GI distress, um, inflammatory issues, and right away will go to removing certain foods from the diet, because they could be inflammatory, you know, Um, and it's interesting, because particularly people who have a history of disordered eating, they're gut microbiome, that environment within, is, is most definitely ravaged. You know, there is an imbalance of bacteria, there, and that imbalance of bacteria very often sets off the balance of digestive enzymes, stomach acid, which is so essential for digestion and absorption. Um, you could have a situation like leaky gut, where the tight junctions of the small intestines get loose because of the imbalance of bacteria or inflammation. And then the food, the bacteria that's supposed to end up in the toilet, ends up in the bloodstream. And that could create a whole host of problems. So sometimes, we need to engage in what I like to refer to as a therapeutic protocol. But my practice is about creating a therapeutic partnership where I, number one, educate the client to what's going on in their bodies. And I'll tell you what that does, Karen. It empowers the client to realize that what's going on is not all in her head. That And that in itself is a very empowering message. She doesn't feel broken anymore. And she's willing to engage in this partnership. And we do a lot of tracking. You know, there's an art to the practice. So we do a lot of tracking together. What are you eating? Let's look at what you're eating. And how do you feel? Yes, there's always an emotional component. I feel very strongly about this because there's going to be fear when we're introducing a new food or we're changing something up. And I work very closely with the client to support them through that. And that's going to look different for everybody. But we track what you're eating, how your body feels, so that we have an idea of not only what you're eating, but what is your body doing with what you're eating? How is it affecting you? What is the function of your body? And I really believe very strongly that as much as we're honoring the gut-brain connection, the gut sends nine messages to the brain for every one message that the brain sends to the gut. So for all of the, the biological components that are being researched now with respect to eating disorders, I feel very strongly that we need to honor what we're putting into the gut. And that's going to look different for everybody. And of course, Going back to that whole thing about a therapeutic protocol, it also depends who we're talking to. The restrictive eater is going to be very happy about avoiding certain foods. So that person has to be spoken to one way. The compulsive overeater, the binge eater, is going to have a different reaction to perhaps avoiding certain foods. So we're always looking at what is the emotional connection to that food. And I know that's the other thing you're talking about. You know, we have to be careful, even in the anti-diet sphere, that we're not setting people up with another set of food rules. Because what's missing, in my opinion, is we're not teaching people to connect to the wisdom of their bodies. We're telling people to think about what they want to eat. We're not connecting them to what their bodies need. Is it body hunger? Is it head hunger or is it heart hunger? That's the missing piece. And that's what we as practitioners have to remember. There can't be any dogma. Everybody is an individual and everybody's body is different. And everybody's body is going to react to their story and their biology in a different way. I hope I explained that properly. You explained it beautifully. And I
0: love when you said, is it stomach hunger, head hunger, or heart hunger? That, by the way, that is it. That is the question.
1: And I also want to say something about emotional eating. You know, there are so many blogs and podcasts and platitudes that talk about emotional eating. I think emotion is something that needs to be taken to the table on a daily basis. You know, we also live in a society, I always have to be happy. No, we have to feel everything. We have to acknowledge that we are human beings, not human doings. Like we spent so much time earlier talking about and, and a human being is going to feel everything good, bad, and ugly. And I think that, So many of us do bring emotion to the table. You know, we have the memory of a beloved grandmother. You know, who baked cookies. I think about my grandmother, and I remember walking into her home, and and I I I can smell the chicken fricassee that was cooking. I could smell the oranges that she used to cut up for us for dessert. That's emotion. That's what I bring to the table with me. And it's it's when we eat in an effort not to not to feel that emotion that we run into trouble. But I I think we need to change our view of emotional eating.
0: I love that you, I, I keep saying this in this podcast and I apologize. I keep saying, Mindy, I love that you said that, but it is true. We are emotional beings and to not bring emotion to the table. Is asking us to shut down our emotions, which is typically what behaviors, eating disorder behaviors do. So bringing emotion to the table is the antithesis of being in an eating disorder. It's also the reality of being in life, meaning, I don't care if you had a bad day, you still need to feed yourself. I don't care if you're angry, you still need to listen to what your body wants and how much it wants and when it's full and when it's right you can't not pay attention to that and i love bringing emotion to the table because hopefully and as you said not always sometimes it is beautiful emotion and it is you know and forgive me everyone i don't know why i'm i'm feeling very connected to my father today i i and i think part of it is Speaking of emotion and connection with with food and my mother and I got together last night and we had pearl hot dogs, which by the way, if anyone's ever had a pearl hot dog right now, their mouth is watering because they know it's so delicious. I think all I think about while I'm eating a pearl hot dog is my father. It was his favorite thing in the entire world. Every year on the anniversary of his passing, my brothers and my mom and I, we all go out and have pearl hot dogs. Every year on his birthday, we always have pearl hot dogs. She happened to have a few extra. We had some last night. But and by the way, there's a lot of emotion when I think about my father. There's there's a grief that'll never go away and that's okay. I'm okay with that. There's a gratitude of my father. There's a love of, of thinking of my mother and father together. My parents were married for 43 and a half years before my father died. And all of that comes as I'm taking a bite out of this pearl hot dog.
1: And with, with that comes the realization, talking about emotion, that if what you shared with your father wasn't so wonderful, it wouldn't hurt so badly. So that, that has to be honored allow yourself to hurt badly because the opposite of that wouldn't be so terrific. Yeah, it's powerful. It is is
0: unbelievable when we think about the role that we can and cannot use food in our lives. And it can be somebody's biggest fear It can feel like poison. It can feel like there's never enough. It can feel like I need to get rid of it from purging. It can have such a negative feeling. It can also have such beautiful connection and flavor and taste and texture and aroma and memories. And then I also say sometimes food is just food. And sometimes I have 10 minutes in between clients and I just eat my food, I barely taste it, but it is still feeding me, because I need that food
1: to be present, to sit with my next client. No question. So that you can bring the proper emotion to that experience. It's all connected. So that's why it's so important to help our clients, number one, connect to the wisdom of their bodies. Going back to the whole concept of elimination diet, I say the only elimination diet that I propose with my clients is the elimination of inflammatory thoughts. That's where I start. So that's a really big piece, clearing the clutter, making room for the new, working on mindset so that you're fully able to engage. And at the same time, if there are blaring physical symptoms, we deal with that. But always in an effort to learn to Trust our bodies. We can never love what we don't trust. That's right. And we have
0: to love. And when I say, like, love our bodies, trust our bodies, listeners have heard me say this. I don't mean as a recovered person, you wake up every morning and say, God, you're gorgeous. I love you. Everything about you is perfect. Because that's unrealistic. And that also sets clients up for failure. When they say, when am I going to love my body? I say, I don't know, maybe never. But first of all, I want to get you to stop hating your body. I want to get you to stop hurting your body. Then I want you to, if we're going to be talking about loving your body, loving what it does for you i'm my body is not about what it looks like to others. it's what it does for me pre pandemic it wrapped my arms around people that I loved. It got me to certain places. It keeps me warm because I'm well nourished. My heart is beating. That's what I love about my body
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And it allows us
0: to carry life. That's right. Mindy, I wish we didn't have to come to an end, but we do. And again, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing this twice. I know it was quite a gift to me to be able to sit and see you twice. So I'm going to look at it from that perspective. I do have a final question, but before I do, is there anything else you would like to add or anything that I didn't ask that you'd like to share with listeners?
1: I think the message is that you can be the master of your own healing. That's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to find your enough and to live in abundance.
0: I think it sounds wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Mindy, before we end, I do have to ask, if someone were to write about you on a bathroom stall, what would it say?
1: It would say that she's a survivor who turned pain into passion and fully paid it forward. Absolutely beautiful.
0: Mindy, again, thank you.
1: Thank you, Karen. Really, it's been such a pleasure.
0: Well, pleasure's all mine. And, and again, for all listeners to say, you know, this is her second time, everyone. So <laughs> I'm so glad you could be here. So thank you. Okay. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Recovery Bites, Real Talk with Recovered Professionals, and I look forward to talking with all of you again next week. Take care and stay safe. Bye-bye. That's a wrap for this week's episode of Recovery Bites, Real Talk with Recovered Professionals, and I thank each and every one of you for tuning in with me. You can view more from today's episode, including guest information and excerpts, by visiting www.karenlewisedc.com dot com forward slash podcast you can subscribe to future shows by searching recovery bites on apple podcasts spotify and youtube all right everybody be well and thanks for listening to my bite for the week